So this evening we want to uh, uh, look at the theme of the God-breathed book, and uh, tonight the theme is the authority of the Bible, why it's got authority, or why it's not just an ordinary human book, and uh, it's a bit of, uh, it's not really, well it is a series, but I've done it a bit badly, because uh, it's tonight, and then we've got three weeks of doing the Psalms again for uh, young people for identity and the questions that go with that. And then we're going to come back to do the next three from uh, this God Breathe book series. So it's just a, a short series of four sermons tonight. We're looking at authority. In other words, that it matters because it's God's word to us. Then we'll look at the clarity of the Bible. That is, we can understand it. Then we're going to look at the necessity of the Bible. We need it. And then we're going to look at the sufficiency of the Bible. It's enough. It tells us what we need to know. It doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us what we need to know. So these are the four themes that we're going to look at. And today we're going to look at uh, the authority of God's Word. And we're going to look at this claim that Paul makes, uh, inspired by the Spirit of God. All Scripture, verse uh, 16 of chapter 3, of Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, um, sorry, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I'm really going to just speak about the first section there about all Scripture being God-breathed and look at uh, the implications of that. So we're not doing a tight uh, study uh, of God's Word here. Uh, rather, we're going to look at that theme of, of God's authority. So we have here all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, of course... All Scripture here we take as being the whole Bible. But when Paul originally wrote these words, he wrote them before all Scripture was completed, didn't he? He was writing Scripture, as he said, all Scripture is God-breathed. And we know that there's 51 references to this word uh, Scripture in the New Testament. And all of these, all 51 references are to the Old Testament Scripture of God. So while Paul is reminding us that Scripture, that is the Old Testament, is God-breathed, it comes from God and has the authority of God, we take it to mean more than that. We take it to mean all of Scripture. Why can we say that? Well, we can say that because we recognize that even at this point, Paul recognized and the church recognized that there was more than just the Old Testament. In 2 Peter 3, 16, Peter speaks about all of Paul's letters and calls them Scripture. Even at that early point, he uses the same word to refer to all of Paul's letters as Paul here used to refer to the Old Testament Bible. That was an amazing thing. It's not very amazing for us. We just think it's kind of ordinary. But for someone at that time to, take the, to make the claim that the scriptures that, or that the words that Paul had written, the letters that Paul had written, were the same as the Old Testament scriptures, to use the same word was an amazing claim. And then Paul himself in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18 quotes from Luke's gospel and calls it scripture. So we've got all the epistles and we've got all the gospels being called scripture by uh, the New Testament itself. So we recognize and see that 
the Old Testament was Scripture, and this formulated New Testament books as they were coming together were also Scripture, were, were from God. And we recognize, and the writers recognize, that they had a special place because they were writing Scripture. They were writing God's Word. The Holy Spirit was promised to the disciples in a special way to reveal truth to them for the church of God. Paul went, we're told, into this third heaven and he met with Jesus and Jesus told them unspeakable things, but also told them many things that he would have used to contain, uh, that is contained in his teaching. So we recognize that this verse itself becomes a proof verse for all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, being God-breathed. Now, people talk about the canon of Scripture, the measure of Scripture. That is all the books from Genesis to Revelation belonging to God. Uh, and people will sometimes ask, well, how do you know that these are the only books that were inspired by God? Well, we know that because right from the very beginning, even as they were being written, even as they were being read, they were being read and written as Scripture. Paul's letters were to be passed around all the churches with the authority of God, of God himself. They were to be seen as equal to Scripture. So that at the very beginning, it was the church that was growing out of Acts that, that recognized what was Scripture. It wasn't later on at some council that they all sat down and said, this is well, what we're going to make the Bible and we're going to leave out certain books and we're going to include certain books. Really, the church at that time simply recognized what was already understood to be God's Word. And that became the canon, the, the books of the Bible that we have. Now, that's very important. That's very important because you've got... Uh, uh, things like the Gospel of Thomas, which people will talk about, and other books uh, that maybe uh, other people will think are Scripture. But we recognize them, and I'll go on to say a little bit more uh, about uh, what makes Scripture Scripture as we go on. So all Scripture, Scripture as we have it, has been handed down to us is the Bible, is God's Word, God's Word for us. So when we read the Bible, we're reading what God wants us to read we're reading what God wants us to hear from Him. Okay? All Scripture is God-breathed, we're told here, is breathed out, is expired by God. God breathes out His Word uh, into those who wrote uh, the different letters and books of the Bible. He communicated to them. He spoke to them. He shared with them what He wanted them to know. Uh, and the original uh, manuscripts that they wrote are the manuscripts of, script, uh, of God. They are without fault. They are without error. They are absolutely correct and proper because they were breathed out by God. God is a communicating God, and He speaks to us uh, through His Word. And God used many different ways to do this, to communicate His Word to His people. He used human beings. You know, you can read the different, you know, titles. Lots of them are names of people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's Paul's letters. And then there's uh, different books were written by people. The early books written by Moses. Some written by the prophets. 
They were written by people who were breathed into by God the word that he wanted them to share. Sometimes it was by dictation. Thus says the Lord. Sometimes it was in a vision. Sometimes it was with dreams. Sometimes they researched things out. Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke. He's a medic. He researched things. And he found out what God, uh, about the story of Jesus and was inspired by the Spirit to record that. Sometimes it was from memory. Sometimes it was eyewitnesses. God used many different ways to get his truth across as he breathed his word into people's lives. Very often, he used people's own personalities as well and his own, their own characters come across he, in their own personalities, the integrity of their own personalities as he uh, brings the truth to them. And we know that his word, and, and these, it's important for us to know the differences as well because of maybe sometimes the people, what people say. But he spoke in different, not only through different people, but in different genres, didn't he? Some of it's history, some of it's poetry, some of it's law, some of it's parable, some of it's epistle, letters, some of it's prophecy, some of it's narrative, some of it's biography. So it's very varied, the Bible. It's truly varied with various people and various genres used by God, yet he breathed into all of it. And the Bible's also God-breathed, but is progressively revealed. So he reveals more and more about himself as the Bible goes on. I'll give you one example, is that in the Old Testament, uh, God is very intent on simply revealing himself as a one God. The Lord your God is one, he says, when he talks about the commands. And right through the Old Testament, the people of Israel believe in one God because they're surrounded by uh, uh, nations that believe in a multiplicity of gods. And God says, no, there's one God, there's one God, there's one God, there's no idols, there's one God. And yet in the New Testament, we find God the Father being spoken of. And then Jesus being worshipped as God the Son. And then God the Holy Spirit. And so we have a progressive revelation. Once we recognize there's one God, we are shown that this is a complex and a glorious and an amazing God who is one God in three persons. So we find that there's progressive revelation. In the Old Testament, there's a, a theocracy with Israel and a king and God being the king or God being the leader uh, of that, uh, that theocratic nation. In the New Testament, the kingdom is spiritual and we're all part of it. And it transcends borders and it trans transcends nations. So there's an unfolding revelation, an unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ so that even we recognize that although all of the Bible is God-breathed, it's not all, it doesn't all have the same authority. Well, no, not all the same authority. It doesn't all have the same weight. There's some bits of the Bible that are more important than others. If I was wanting to tell someone about uh, the gospel or about God and about uh, the message of salvation, I wouldn't generally put them to uh, numbers. I would put them to the gospels. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because there's a, a there's not all the same weight of Scripture, but all is God brewed, all is God breathed. So we recognize that the Bible is his authoritative word. It is all from him. It is useful for us. It is God breathed. Now obviously there's a problem with that, using that text. 
to say that God's Word has authority, isn't there? Have you noticed the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that it's a self-authenticating claim, isn't it? It's saying, this is the Word of God. Why is it the Word of God? Because I'm saying it's the Word of God, because I say. The Bible says it's the Word of God. So it's a self-authenticating claim. It's its own claim. All Scripture, of which this text is a Scripture, is saying is God-breathed. It says so. Now that argument, I guess, is slightly circular. But the Bible can't appeal to a higher authority than itself. Can it? it? Anything that's claiming to be authoritative, absolutely authoritative, can't then appeal to a higher authority, can it? Because then the higher authority that it appeals to becomes more absolute and more important than it itself. So there is a sense in which it's a circle argument, but it is a self-authenticating argument. It's an absolute claim. It is no one and nothing to which it is subordinate. So it, does, it can't get measured by something greater or something more perfect or glorious than itself. So it becomes self-authenticating, and yet uh, there are many evidences that we recognize that help us to understand that the Bible is indeed its own authority and is unique as God's Word. It's a unique collection, isn't it? How many Old Testament books do we know? 39 Old Testament books. New Testament? 27. Written over 1,600 years. How many authors? 40. Three different languages. Three different continents. And the authors are very ordinary, are, are very often very ordinary people. They're not geniuses. And yet we have one message coming through this amazing book written over so many years in different continents by different people at different times one clear message authenticating it as having a greater author a more unique author God himself it's preservation and the evidence of, of the original manuscripts that we have written and preserved over centuries like no other book and with evidence like no other ancient book. There are around 5,000 written manuscripts bearing testimony to the original uh, letters and uh, manuscripts that were written. There are 24,000 other manuscripts that back up the original manuscripts of God's Word. That is absolutely outstanding. There is no other ancient uh, writing that has anything like that amount of evidence to back it up. Homer's Iliad has 634. Plato has 10. Caesar has 10. The Bible has 29,000. Manuscripts, copies of the original uh, letters and uh, books that remind us that this is God's word being preserved. Even the majesty of its style kind of self-authenticates the Bible. It's, it bears the truth, doesn't it? In its wisdom and in its justice, 
in its presentation of Jesus and his nature and his walk, his teaching, his work, his salvation, the majesty of that style right through it bears testimony to it being God's word. The fulfilled prophecy. Just think about all the prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus that are fulfilled in Jesus. Remarkably, accurately fulfilled prophecy. It's enduring popularity. 100 million copies of the Bible every year. But I mentioned on Wednesday night, I got the facts slightly wrong on Wednesday night, about the Bible in uh, Chinese. Uh, it's, it's 1 billion. The 1 billionth Bible has just recently uh, been printed on the biggest uh, Bible printing press in the world uh, over 29 years. But it's still a remarkable fact uh, of the enduring popularity of the Bible in the lives of people all through the world, testifying to its uh, authenticity and also the transformed lives. The fact that people can take God's Word and have their lives transformed. They don't need to be in a church. It's not the authority of the church that gives the Bible its authority. It's not because the, the church says something about the authority of the Bible that makes it authoritative. People's lives have been transformed. They've never been near churches. But they've taken up Scripture and they've met with Jesus Christ and they've been touched by the power and authority and the reality of God's Word. It doesn't depend on the, the, what the church thinks or otherwise or culture. It has such direct authority and influence in people's lives. It exposes, if you let it, it exposes your need and mine. It brings grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It transforms and gives hope to millions of people because the self-authenticating word has these other evidences that it belongs to God. But there's also a spiritual dimension to the Bible being God's word and it's a recognition that even though we know it's God's Word, even though it can be evidenced in all these ways, even though it's self-authenticating and it has its own claim, there's a problem. And the problem is that we don't accept that. There's a beautiful statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith, written in kind of old language, but it expresses it where it says, talks about the majesty of his style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God. Speaking about the Bible... Uh, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof, are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So the reality is that we need God and we need God's Holy Spirit to convince us that the Bible is God's Word. So, you know, when we speak to people and they say, well, I don't believe the Bible and don't believe God's Word, we can argue very strongly. We can point to the evidences. We can say why it's self-authenticating. We can speak to it being God-breathed. But ultimately, we can't persuade anyone and no one will be persuaded unless uh, in answer to prayer, the Holy Spirit works in their lives. 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the authority of the Bible, while it has all these evidences, and while it is God-breathed, is not enough for us. We are blinded by our sin, and we need God, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to come under its authority. So you and brought up in a Christian home and becoming a Christian himself was not persuaded merely by the beauty and the authority and the claims of the Bible, but because the Holy Spirit opened up that truth to him and enabled him to see that. Can I just mention very briefly one or two objections to that uh, claim? And this can by its very nature only be a very introductory uh, uh, message speaking about the authority of God's word uh, one or two ob objections many people today for example will say it's impossible to, for any book to make that claim to be God's word to be authoritative to be the truth in other words truth can't be known um, and today's skeptics uh, are very there's a great deal of skepticism about any kind of uh, authority and any kind of certainty. Everything's relative. What, what authority can you say that the Bible is God's Word? Well, that becomes a philosophical argument and we can't go into that uh, really this evening other than recognizing that th that statement itself, that everything is relative, is an absolute statement. And uh, <laughs> A rejection of truth being known to say that truth can't be known is in itself uh, an absolute statement uh, on what authority can truth not be known but in life in general if you move away from philo philosophy in life in general we believe that truth can be known now I've uh, put a slide up with uh, the different books that you can look at on this and if, you, if you're anyone taking notes please just take a note of some of these books because they'll go into a lot of these issues in much more detail uh, than I can or are willing to this evening. Um, but we do believe, you can just leave that up, we do believe uh, that truth can be known. We believe it in our everyday life. Uh, we believe it in a million different ways. We, we live on the basis that truth can be known. And uh, we believe uh, that the Bible speaks of an absolute truth and that that is a declaration of the mind of God. The truth can't be known. Or people often say to you, seriously, you don't seriously take the Bible literally. You don't believe the Bible literally today. You know, we talk about being under the authority of the Bible, that it's infallible, it's the word of God, that it's absolutely without error. And people say, you take it literally? Is it not just full of fables? Well, in many ways, it's a kind of a red herring question. Um, because it all depends on what people mean by taking the Bible literally, doesn't it? Um, but at its fundamental, we, we recognize it as an account of God and an account of our relationship and broken relationship with God. It's not a science manual, uh, but it's an account of God and the glory of God. And when that is your foundation and when you recognize that and when you believe that, then, for example, miracles just aren't a problem. <laughs> They're just not an issue. It, it, de 
It depends on what you, where you're beginning with and wh- what you believe and what you don't believe. So we recognize and have no problem with miracles because we believe in a God of miracles. And therefore we take the miracles, for example, when they're, when they're written as narrative, when they're written as we looked this morning at the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking in water, as literal. They're not symbolic. They're not fable. They're written as literal, and we accept them as literal. But we do recognize that there's many different parts of the Bible that are written in different genres. And that in a crass, literalistic way, we don't... For example, it talks about Herod being a fox. And we don't take that literally. Herod isn't a fox with a tail. Or Jesus being the door. Or that Jesus, you know, the Bible says there is no God. We don't take that literally. Because the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. So, you know, we've got to be intelligent about it and recognize that there's pictures, there's parables, there's stories. There's truth, there's imagery. But we know as we study and look at God's Word, uh, the different nature uh, of the writings that there is. And then maybe the third objection that some people have is that it's exclusivist. You, know, you claim absolute truth. Um, that's crazy that nobody else believes uh, that truth. Uh, there's no room for uh, different roads and paths to God. Uh, how can you be so proud as to say that? Well, again, I think it depends how you say these things, and it depends what you say. It is not our claim to exclusivity. It's not our claim to saying we've got things right. We're the only people with the truth. The claim is God's. The claim is Jesus Christ's. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for us. There's no other way to the Father. Uh, Jesus is the only revelation, the only answer, the only hope, the only uh, way forward. It's His claim. So we do have to acknowledge, yes, that it is exclusivist because of the authority of God and of His Word. And it is a self-revelation. And, and if it is, if He is who He claims to be, there can be no higher authority. There can be no other truth because truth can be known because of who He is. And we recognize that and we accept that in our lives. There's many other objections, but a lot of these books will deal in great detail with some of these things. And it's important, I think, to be able to defend Scripture and to defend its authority and to defend it as God's book and to be able to um, knock back some of the cheap arguments that people will bring uh, against that. But just very briefly as we close, what are the implications of that uh, in our lives? Well, the first and very significant one is to recognize within all of this talk of God's Word and the authority of God's Word is the importance of the spiritual dimension. That none of these things can be recognized as Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, unless we have the Holy Spirit revealing them to us. In other words, we need God, not just evidence. We need God in our lives. And we don't just need proof. And we don't need more proof. 
And we don't need more evidence. We need more of God in our lives because the problem is that we're sinners and that we rebel against him and that we don't like his truth and we're blinded to it because of our selfishness and our pride and our independence. But when we disobey him, or when we disobey God's word, rather, we're disobeying God. And that is a spiritual, spiritually recognized truth. That the Bible is not a throwaway book. It's not a take it or leave it. But it is his book because it reveals him and his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. God spoke. And it's a revelation of himself. And when we disobey that revelation, then we disobey the God of that revelation. So we, we can't cheapen the Bible. We can't make it insignificant. We can't just sit there and say, wow, it's all just about feelings and about this kind of relationship with God that I've got spiritually. It's about this God who reveals himself in his word. And there's a spiritual dimension which says that every time we open his word, we don't just need a commentary or we don't just need intellectual understanding. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we open the Bible with prayer. Say, Lord, I need you here. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me without you. I need you. We open the Bible with prayer. There's a spiritual dimension. And we understand that the whole, the whole direction of the, of the Bible, the whole revelation of God it revolves around the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the fulcrum. So everything before the cross of Jesus is pointing towards it, and everything after the cross looks back to, to that. Because a revelation of the truth of God in love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So everything in the word, everything in this God authoritative book points to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's no good saying I live by the book. Like a rule book. I live by the book by its laws. No good. No good. Living by the book will only send us to a lost eternity because we can't do it. We live by the Christ of the book. The Christ of the book who fulfilled the law on our behalf. And who enables us by his grace to... Uh, know him and to know what he wants us to be in our lives so there's this crucial centrality of the cross within our but also I think we need to take the Bible seriously therefore not only because it reveals the word and Jesus and the cross but because it's God's revelation to us it's God breathed and it's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we might be equipped to live our Christian lives. Take the Bible seriously. Work at understanding it. Don't just kind of be, don't just open the Bible and say, well, I, I don't understand it. And close the book and give it no guts and no effort and no work. You know, anything that we regard as significant and important, that we'll, we'll expend energy in it. If it's worth no, if it's God's, it's God's word to us, is it not worth working at? We defend it. You know, when someone in your workplace or in your, in your uh, classroom or in your home or whatever it might be, say, oh, you don't believe the Bible's a lot of rubbish. You don't believe that, do you? Don't just shrug your shoulders and say, ah, oh, well, I kind of, yeah, I do. 
But, you know, be in, intelligent about that. And then work up, think of how best to answer that. Are we ashamed or embarrassed by uh, the Bible because we don't know it and we don't take it seriously and we haven't worked out some of the, the big issues? And when, when people throw questions at us, do we say, well, actually, that's a great question. I have no idea what the answer to that is. It's easy to find the answer to all these things because hundreds of clever intellectual and spiritual people have found the answers before us. We just need to climb on their shoulders. We don't need to do all the groundwork. We just need to maybe read some of these books and find out what some of the clear answers to people's objections are. And not, not, not condemn or criticize or try and win the argument in a self-righteous way, but humbly and gently say, well, this is God's book. It's God's book that has changed and is changing my life. Learn from it. Make it big in our life significant and important if it is what it says to be. God breathed book for us. God's communicated word of revelation. And then lastly, and very briefly in a sense, which is the theme of the whole sermon, or maybe should have been the theme of the whole sermon, you maybe thought I haven't even come to it, is submit to its authority. It's authoritative because of what it is. Because it's God's word. It's God breathed. The Holy Spirit enables us to see that and to know that. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So it's inextricably linked to love. If you love me, you will obey. And it does make demands of us. If you're not a Christian tonight, it makes the demands of you to come to Jesus Christ. And that's the authority of Scripture. And as Christians, it makes ethical and moral demands. The young people will be looking at some of them in the, field, in the field and realm of relationships and sexuality this evening. It's to mold us. It's to guide us. It has teaching about honesty and about ethical living. It is teaching about relationships in the home, about marital, about wife and husband, about how we uh, deal in business, about how we work in all of our lives, how we deal with problems and uh, opposition and hurt and betrayal. All of these things, we are to come under its authority. So every day this week, you will have a crossroads and you'll say, God's way or my own way? I guarantee it. I say a prophetic word this evening that every single one of you and me will have decisions to make this week. God's way or my own way? Bitterness or forgiveness? Obedience or disobedience? Impurity, holiness? whatever it might be, we will be at a crossroads. And the path you take and the path I take will depend on what authority we give the Bible, what significance we give it. And God's an amazing God because what does he do? He gives us a book that we can close. He gives us the dignity of not being like robots. But he says, you can close this book anytime you want. And you can walk your own way. But there are consequences for that. But you must make the choice. You're made in my image. And in grace you're redeemed. And I'm not going to force you. You're going to live with a closed book. Or an open book. And along with an open book goes an open heart. Is God and his word authoritative in our lives?
Amen. Let's bow our heads briefly and pray. Lord God, we pray that your word would have its authority. It's a great and a, a large subject to deal with. And today in the world in which we live, your word is under so much attack. It's mocked and derided by so many. And we are losing confidence in the word. And maybe it's because we haven't worked through some of these important issues. We haven't uh, gone with the claims of Scripture itself. And we haven't founded ourselves on these truths. Help us to do so. And help us not to be spineless, but those who are really strong about your word. Because it's based on your love for us and on your huge compassion and sacrifice on our behalf. And you've given us your word. There's lots of it we don't understand, Lord. There's bits we don't know why on earth you would have given the Bible in, in such form. And why it seems so much of the Bible is taken up with what we regard as difficult issues. Lord, give us wisdom and grace to understand that it's all part of your pattern and revelation and self-disclosure. And may we come under its authority, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and the repentance that also comes from recognizing and living under the authority of the Bible. For Jesus' sake, amen.